it is Ryan here, and I have a question for you. What do you do when you win? Like, are you a fist pumper? A woohooer, a hand clapper, a high fiver. I kind of like the high five, but if you want to hone in on those winning moves, check out Chumba Casino. At chumbacasino.com, choose from hundreds of social casino style games for your chance to redeem serious cash prizes. There are new game releases weekly, plus free daily bonuses. So don't wait. Start having the most fun ever at chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. DTW, void, we're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions 18 plus. With the Lucky Land slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. This is your captain speaking. Uh, we've got clear runway and the weather's fine, but we're just going to circle up here a while and uh, get lucky. No, no, nothing like that. It's just these cash prizes add up quick. So I suggest you sit back, keep your tray table upright, and start getting lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandsLots.com. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Lucky Land Casino, asking people, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? Lucky? In line at the deli, I guess? Aha, in my dentist's office. More than once, actually. Do I have to say? Yes, you do. In the car, before my kid's PTA meeting. Really? Yes. Excuse me, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? I never win and tell. Well, there you have it. You can get lucky anywhere, playing at LuckyLandSlots.com. Play for free right now. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Hello, welcome to VAR at the bar. Once again, not at the bar. Uh, my name's Ant. I'm hosting this week, and I'm joined with... I'm Dan. And I'm Chris. So I'm going to start with top 10 comebacks. As I said to you with the rules, when I set the questions, it can only be a domestic comeback, and it can only be one leg, or like a one-off game. That ruined it for me. <laughs> one on my list that was um, not a one-off game. <laughs> what was it? It was, uh, there was an FA Cup game in 1961, between Man City and Luton. And Man City were winning 6-2. Dennis Lord scored six goals for Man City. And then the skies opened and it rained and the match got abandoned. When they replayed the match, Luton went 2-1. <laughs> <laughs> That's great. That's a great story. Might let you have it. <laughs> All right. I've got a listener. I've got a listener. All right. Okay. Um, Chris... Can you just tell us your 10 to 6 quickly before we go into yeah, it? Yeah, sure. Okay, so number 10 I've got. Chelsea versus Spurs, 2015-16. Uh, so yeah. that was 2-0 that was up. Spurs were needing to win every game to have a sniff for this title. Um, number 9, West Brom 2, Leicester City 3. That was 14-15, great escape. Number 8. Leicester three, Swindon four, 93 playoff final. Sorry, Dan. Had to be pretty put in there. Uh, number seven, I've got West Brom, Man United. That ended up in a five-all draw for his last game. And finally, number six, Liverpool three, Manchester United three, 93 to 94 Premier League game. That's a bit far back for you, Chris. I know, you see, did a bit of summary research. So what, what, what was your logic then with the, with, with the ones you picked? Well, we're talking about comebacks, so I'm using specific scenarios as well. So, for example, the Chelsea one, there's a bit of pressure for Spurs to win that. And obviously Chelsea didn't want Spurs to win <laughs> or have a sniff of the league. 
Yeah, I just thought the drama of it all as well, and just how they had a 2 0 lead, pretty comfortable. Cahill brings a goal back from a corner. Then Hazard with that goal. I mean, wow. The curl he managed to get on there. Then obviously, the my um, number nine, that was the great escape, really the start of the great escape for Leicester. Um, but just the, the Vardy winning goal, the way he sort of judged the ball perfectly, which Dawson didn't, and just took the goal and just the jubilation. And I think it was a togetherness that sort of led them then through into the season after to win the title. And then obviously Swindon went 3-0 up on that game with the um, playoff final. And then Leicester pulled it back. Dubious penalty, which Bowden scored near the last minute. What did you did, Can you remember that penalty at all, Dan? I was there. You were there. <laughs> yeah. was that there. must have been a mixture of emotions that day, wasn't it? Yeah, being 3-0 down, bringing it back to 3-all, and then, yeah... A penalty that was very questionable. Can you really class it as a comeback? It was a cl- sort of comeback, right? You came from 3 0 down. You didn't to say comeback come when you either draw or you complete the job when you, you, when you win. <laughs> um, then, obviously, my number seven, Bergie's last game. I mean, what a game that was. They went 3 0 up, mind you, did in 30 minutes. And then um, went also 5 2 up. Just to briefly tell you, and then then proceeded to concede three goals in in six minutes. Pretty epic. I put that one on my list as well, Chris. Um, Romelu Lukaku hat trick in that game. Yeah, and it was quite, I think, quite telling now looking back that Ferguson said that that Lukaku is going to be a player. Yeah, <laughs> exactly. And then my number six I had was that was Liverpool Man United. Well, at that time, as Ant would know well, Sooness was in charge, which was a pretty disastrous season. Obviously, Man U at, at the time came there. I think they were second in the league. Liverpool were eighth under a bit of pressure. Proceeded to concede. It was actually three goals on 25. Giggs's chip was a notable goal put by them. He took the ball off Red Knapp and just almost first time chipped it over Groveler at the time. Um, then we had a um, urban free kick that made it three 0 to Man U in twenty four minutes. Then one that I remember, Clough's long range effort to make it three one. It must have hit that from about 30, 35 yards. It was almost Gerard esque. Yeah. Against West Ham, if you remember, <laughs> he then pulled it back back for three two, and then the unlikely hero, Mister Razor Ruddock, pops up. <laughs> Steamrolled his way into the box. <laughs> yeah, he did. To be fair, he was in normal play as well. So I don't know what he's doing, storming up the pitch on the seventy odd minutes. But he did do a great thing that day, and that made it three all. Can't complain with that. I think you've done well there. You've found two examples where an Alex Ferguson team has thrown away a three goal lead. Yeah, that's a good day. Thank, thank, thank you very much. Go on, then, Dan. What you got for us? Ten to six. Right, number 10, I've also gone for the West Brom Man United 5-5 draw. Right. Number 9, I've gone for Tottenham 3, Man United 5. Number 8, Man City 3, QPR 2. Number 7, Newcastle 4, Arsenal 4. And number 6, you're going to like this, 
Crystal Palace three, Liverpool three. Uh, <laughs> uh, I got a couple of those on that on mine as well. <laughs> Go on then, Dan. Let's get that one out of the way first. Palace Liverpool. Palace. Well, Liverpool chasing the title. They're what four games away. We'd already lost the title by this point. Uh, I don't like that saying. I still think. I mean. Well, all right, okay. Well, the title was out of Liverpool's hand at that point. Let's put it that way. Yeah, you're still fighting man, the And then you're 3-0 up with 11 minutes to go. I mean, you've got to, you've got to pull it as well that the team we were facing wasn't a Crystal Palace team that was in relegation. It was mid-table. It wasn't anywhere. They didn't have anything to really play for. And yet we managed to still concede three goals in seven minutes. That was a downfall. Of, that was a downfall of that Rogers team. The defence was rubbish. I think they're obviously suffering a hangover from the, the dreaded Gerard slip that we don't like to talk about. Yeah, psychological scars. Yeah, yeah. You asked Chris the question of what his criteria was, and uh, for that game, I've looked at psychology and where that comebacks come from. And like I like just alluded to, Liverpool were on fighting for the title. Crystal Palace had nothing to play for in the 3-0 down with 11 minutes to go. No one could have predicted that comeback. No, I mean, fair play to Palace. Um, it's just a bit, a bit sore still. <laughs> I, I, mean, I mean, to be brutally honest, as a professional club, to be 3-0 down, I know AC Milan can put their heads in chain now, but you should not lose, especially when you're 75 minutes ahead. So 75 minutes into the game, they concede three goals in a matter of 10 minutes. It's just unbelievable. But that's the premiership for you, isn't it? Yeah. Um, Man City QPR down. That's quite low down. Yeah. Um, I, guess, I guess it's because QPR were, I think they were relegated by this point. Um, they were certainly near the bottom of the league. Man City were at home. They were the better team. They were expected to win. That's why I didn't really classify it as um, a top comeback. But it'll always be remembered for the rest of the time, probably. It was... I uh, that was my number one. Well, Did you? Enough. It's, it's just different ways of looking at it. Yeah. But no I'll, I'll go into that a bit later on. But All right. Um, Newcastle 4, Arsenal 4. Yeah, well, Arsenal are four and they look at half time against Newcastle. Uh, they got the man sent off, and then Newcastle managed to come all the way back to claim a four-all draw. That was Czech Teote's only goal for Newcastle. That thunderbolt it was a screamer, wasn't it? Don't think you could hit that any any sweeter, could you? No, but Arsenal gave it away. Really, they had a man sent off. They gave away two penalties. Uh, Newcastle at home in front of a big crowd. You know, if, if you're going to write the script, that's it. And then, uh, number nine, you had Tottenham three, United three, didn't you? Yeah, Tottenham were three. Oh, and Tottenham three, five. United five, sorry. Yeah, Tottenham three, United five. Uh, Tottenham three and up at, at half-time. And then United score after 46 minutes, 58, 72, 76, 87. Talk about a game of two halves. It was a, Fergie actually said on that because it's on my it's a bit higher up on mine that he just said if you get the first goal you're going to beat these and that's what all he said at half time to the players just get the next goal we can beat these simple and the way that the, that Spurs capitulated 
And I mean, this was a good Spurs team as well. They, you know, they had quality players there. It was it's also a very good Man United team, though. Yeah, true. Yeah, very true. good Man United team. That's, that's the only reason why it's lower down on my list. It's Man United, yeah. four or five minutes to play. <laughs> I had it at number yeah. 10. I had uh, that one number 10. Uh, number nine, I had Tranmere 4, Southampton 3 in the FA Cup in 2001. Southampton were 3 0 up, 32 minutes to go before uh, Everton uh, veteran Paul Rideout scored a hat trick. And then another former toffee, Stuart Barlow, added the fourth. And I just thought uh, Southampton, I think, were Premiership at the time. And to have Tranmere, who were League One, I think. Yeah. Yeah. Come back from three 0 down and score four goals with half an hour to go is ridiculous. Yeah, it is ridiculous. I've got it as number four on my list. Oh, okay, fair enough. Unbelievable turnaround from a lower league club, just unheard of. Uh, number eight, I had Chelsea two, Bradford four, which we talked about last week. We've seen Mourinho's Chelsea two 0 up, and then uh, <laughs> was it? Fair enough. <laughs> well, to be honest, one of the reasons what? I put it lower down was because we talked about it last week. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> All right, I'll save the one you talk about on this week, Dan. Number seven, you know, I like to go back a few years. Charlton seven, Huddersfield six, nineteen fifty-seven. That's number five on my list. Oh, <laughs> at least I'm not alone this week with the oldies. <laughs> Can one of you digress then, please? <laughs> Bill Shankly was manager of Huddersfield. Back in 1957, as Ant said, and then after 17 minutes, one of the Charlton players goes off injured with a dislocated shoulder. They don't have substitutes in those days, so Charlton are down to 10 men. As the match unfolded, they were 5-1 down with 20, 27 minutes to go, and then they managed to win it 7-6, being 5-1 down with 10 men. They scored five goals in 19 minutes. Yeah. Wow. That's good going, that is. And I think he's Johnny Summers for Charlton scored five and set up two, making Huddersfield the only team to to score six and not win a game in English football. Wow. Incredible. Ridiculous game. Uh, Number six, I had Reading five, Arsenal seven in the League Cup 2012. Obviously, Reading were four and a half and cruising and then uh, Walcott gets one just for a half time. And then you just knew the comeback was on, really. Um, it's, it's still impressive to come back from 4-0 down and what's even more well what's more, more embarrassing for Reading really is Shamak actually scored two in that game remember him yes rocking gun <laughs> Walcott scored a hat-trick as well just to rub salt into the wounds and then number five I had Newcastle four Arsenal four so Chris what was your number five my number five I've got that as Gillingham 2, Man City 2. Um, that was the playoff final, Division 1, from 1999, which Man City ended up winning on penalties. Basically, Gillingham took a 2-0 lead. Then Kevin Herlock scored what you thought was a consolation goal on the 90th minute. And then uh, Paul Dickoff then goes and equalises on the 95th minute to take it to extra time. Um, interesting fact here is that um, Dickoff took a penalty against uh, the Gillingham keeper, which was Vince, Vince Bartram. <laughs> best mate, wasn't it? They were best mates, yeah. Best men at, both, <laughs> at each other's weddings. 
Uh, he didn't hit the post though, so I don't know whether who whether it was for whether it helped him out. It hit both but, posts, didn't it? Yeah, yeah, it was a cracking. <laughs> <laughs> I'm sure VAR might have ruled it across the line at some point, but oh, unbelievable. I don't know. But um, I, I had that number three. Did you? Yeah. And uh, Nick. Nicky Weaver, I think, say peep uh, three penalties in that. But what an unbelievable turnaround, though, to score two goals in 90 minutes. <laughs> I mean, Gillingham only scored their first in the 81st minute. Yeah. Carla Saba. Um, but yeah, it's just an unbelievable match because I think everyone wrote off Gillingham anyway before the match even started because obviously Man City were quite a big fish in a small pond back then. But. Um, but yeah, I mean to to do that is pretty heartbreaking, though, for the the, the Gillingham fans. Anyway, <laughs> I I put that one higher um, purely because I just wonder whether had Gillingham had gone up that season, whether the Man City dynasty that's happened since would have actually happened. <laughs> it makes you wonder. They could have stayed in League One, or League Two, whatever it was at that time. Possibly, yeah. possibly. I mean, you get yeah. some big team go down there and they don't go up first time and then you don't hear from them again. Sunderland yeah. is still wallowing down there. Well, Leeds spent a while down there as well, Leeds, didn't they? Yeah, Sheffield United were down there for I don't know how long. Yeah, yeah fair enough. Fair. Uh, Dan, you're number five. That was the Charlton-Huddersfield match. All oh, right, yeah. I realised I jumped ahead. Um, Newcastle-Arsenal was my number five. So, uh, Christian, number four, please. Oh, that was uh, Chris Stamble. Okay, all right, yeah, move on. Dan? <laughs> Mine was Tranmere versus Southampton. <laughs> okay. I had Everton 3, Wimbledon 2 in 1994. Yes. Was that the relegation match? Yeah. Mm. Graham Stewart, was it, that scored? Yeah, anyone else got that one? No. <laughs> Not on my list. No, great, great game for my... Yeah, I mean, Everton were facing relegation for the first time in 40 years. So they find themselves tuning down to Wimbledon. Um, they pulled one back after the break. And I watched this game on YouTube the other day. Um, Anders Limpar completely conned the ref with his dive. It's the best dive I've ever seen. It, it was an unbelievable dive. I think it was Peter Fear got nowhere near him. Um, so anyway, Stuart puts the penalty away. And then Barry Horn scores this unbelievable cracker of a volley from I don't know how yeah. far out it was. Yeah, about 30 yards, wasn't it? Yeah. And then Stuart got a third one, which kept them up and sent Sheffield United down on goal difference, who had only lost by a last-minute goal at Chelsea about two minutes before. Wow. Unbelievable day of football. Can't be a good relegation scrap, though, can you? No. The last day where they, they, they keep switching the, the grounds, don't they? And showing the little the little league at the bottom. Yeah, yeah. The bottom six. <laughs> I think actually that was also part of. Um, remember Han Sager's the Wimbledon goalkeeper? Yeah. He got done for match fixing. I think they actually looked at that game to see if he rigged it, but they couldn't find any evidence of it. Oh, well, you know, Barry Bourne's shot could have been saved. <laughs> if there was 10 goalkeepers there, maybe. All right, number three then, please, Chris. Yeah, sure. Mine was um, the 5 3 that you spoke about, uh, the Man United fight back. Okay. Dan? Right, for number three, I've gone for Curzon Ashton three with AFC Wimbledon four. Oh, okay. So in this game, 
Curzon Ashton, they scored in the first minute. They scored their third goal in the 62nd minute. They were 3-0 up until the 80-minute mark. And then AFC Wimbledon scored in the 80th minute, the 81st minute, the 82nd minute, and the 94th minute. And they won <laughs> in an FA Cup match in December 2016. Wow. I think we can all agree this will be the only time Curzon Aston gets mentioned on this podcast. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> what, yeah. What, what round was it? Was it a qualifying round? Second round. Second round. Yeah. So, yeah, three and a look with 10 minutes to play and they lost four three. <laughs> that would have been a giant killing as well, really, because AFC were quite high up the league by then, weren't they? Uh, yeah. One. Yeah. Yeah. And they were cruising. <laughs> yeah, ridiculous turnaround. But it just fell to pieces. Um long those long balls got into the box, like Wimbledon of old. And uh, I think there were a few headed goals, they just couldn't handle the long ball. Okay. Uh I had Gillingham Man City playoff number three. Chris, back to you, number two. Right then, I've slightly bent the rules here. Just slightly. <laughs> I've actually gone for Playoff semi-final, Watford versus Leicester. The Deeney goal. (laughs) It wasn't that second leg, though. Uh, That was a second leg game. That's Uh, all I'm talking about. I'm just talking about the second leg game. I'll let you have it. Well, I think, to be honest, Dan, you deserve maybe to tell us the story from a Leicester City eyes. I'm not telling I'll go through the, <laughs> I'll go through the, the beginning. Obviously, Vidra took the... Um, City were 1-0 up from the first leg. Vidra scored a fantastic left foot volley to level it up. Then Nugent, I think, equalised almost immediately to then send Leicester 2-1 up on aggregate. Uh, then a 1-2 between Vidra and Dini made it 2-1 on the night, 2-1 on aggregate. Then, knockout. What what happened after that? Do you want to explain, Dan? Yeah, so how long was left in the game at this point? It must have been... Injury time. It was injury time. Knockout had the ball. Um, I think, was it Cassini or Cassinetti or something like that? Um, Suck his leg out. Knockout's gone down. It took a dive, to be fair. It yeah, it took a dive. It was a pretty soft penalty. So, yeah, um, then we take the penalty. Um, Almonia saves it. The ball lands right back at the feet of yep. knockout the penalty taker. It's an easy tap in, and then Blasts it at Armenia. It, it, it just softly sides foot it and gives it, it puts it in the one place where Armenia has got a chance to get back up to his feet and then to make a save. And he saves the rebound, which at that point I'm absolutely livid. How <laughs> <laughs> it's stayed out. Uh, Watford managed to clear the ball out and basically run up the pitch and score. He's kicked the ball out to Forestieri on the right. Deep cross to John Hogg. He's then headed it across. And it must have gone, I'm not rubbing <laughs> salt into the rings, but slow motion. Because to me, even watching it now, it's like Dean is totally unmarked. There's about two, three Leicester players retreating. Mm-hmm. Yeah, exactly. And he absolutely wallops it in. And I mean... Didn't give Schmeichel a chance in hell, but I just in a matter of thirty seconds. I mean, I I wouldn't know how that must have felt to be a Leicester fan at that time. It was pretty depressing, I can tell you. 
I mean, it actually happened in a, I think, in a playoff. I was trying to look it up like a year or so afterwards in Division One, I think, where they, the teams saved the penalty. It's gone up the other end and the other team scored. But, but yeah, that's my number two anyway, because I just thought, again, it's a sort it's a comeback in brackets, but it's just the drama of it, isn't it, as well? That at one point, you think you're out of the playoffs. All the guy, and then he has the rebound to bang it in, and he still didn't do that. And then you go and score, then the winning goal. That's fair enough. And I think Ant's going to be talking about the drama of it with his number one pick by the sound of it. <laughs> well, <laughs> All right, what's your number two, Dan? I've gone for Cup match Tottenham three, Man City four. Same here. That's my number one. It, it was nearly my number one. I mean, it's just mad, isn't it? I mean, but the things going against Man City going into that game, one win in 18 games, a lot of pressure on, on Keegan. And then they go, Spurs go 3 0 up. Their main strike, uh, Man City's main striker, Nauka, gets pulled off injured after 25 minutes. Then a, a young man you might have heard of called Joey Barton gets sent off. Never no, known him. He never gets sent never, off. Uh, Never known him to get sent off before, just before half-time. And then at half-time, Keegan says to his assistant at the time, who's Derek Pakowski or Paskaski, that he's going to get sacked. He, he actually thought he was going to get sacked. And then they turn it round. Um, obviously, I think Sean Wright Phillips gets, on the, gets the equaliser. Then John Mackin... Ex-Preston as well, scores the, the winner. I think Distan scored as well um, to bring, his, yeah. bring you back. And I've got Bosch Fout for 3-2. It's just a mad game. How, I mean, I know Spurs have this <laughs> a, a bad reputation on these comebacks. Yeah. Yeah. against them. But switching off against 10 men, you should get sacked for it, surely, to lose. I say sometimes though, playing, um, playing with 10 men sometimes easier. Playing against yeah, him and sometimes harder. Yeah. I mean, obviously, Man City just came out and just, like I said, just paid for the manager, didn't they? They probably knew he was, if he didn't win this, he's probably going to end up getting sacks and especially losing heavily. At home, yeah. in the cup game, 3 0 up against 10 men against a Man City team that's not in form. And then if you watch the replays as well, they just got done with direct football and long balls. It's awesome. Yeah, such a poor second half from Spurs. All right, number one. Oh, that was your number one, Chris. Dan, your number one? Yeah, number one, I've gone for Chelsea two, Bradford four. But yeah, we, we've touched on it before, but this was the Chelsea team in 2015 under Mourinho. They were league champions, high-flying, all-conquering. That amazing home record that Mourinho's got. And they find themselves 2-0 up in a game against lowly Bradford. Uh, Bradford pulled a goal back before half-time, but no one can quite believe it when they turn, turn it round to a 40 win. It's just unbelievable. It was incredible. That was the odd game. That was the day, wasn't it, like we spoke about in the, in the previous I, episode? Saturday. The weird day. The accumulator breaker, I think. <laughs> yeah, I mean, that was a good Chelsea team as well. There must have been millions and millions of pounds worth of talent throughout that lineup that day. And yeah, so I think it was third tier Bradford at the time. Unbelievable. So yeah, that's the comeback of all comebacks for me. <laughs> so I had 
Man City 3, QPR 2. Um, I mean, purely, it, it comes down to the occasion for me. I just thought there's so much pressure on City winning their first title in however many years it was, 50 years. And the finals was 2-1 down the 90th minute. And seeing all that fans in tears and half of them leaving the stadium and and then obviously for us as fans, seeing Man United standing on the standing at Old Trafford looking a bit smug. Um, and then two goals in five minutes and an extra time, um, injury time, sorry. It's it just, uh, it's just going to be a forever iconic moment. I mean, the thing, the thing with that was I remember watching that with my flatmate at the time and we were both we cheered Man City when they won the title with that third goal going in. We just cheered like Man City were our team. Yeah. It's it just unbelievable. I mean, you had to feel for QPR because I think they had to go into that game as well to win, win the game to stay up. I, I think, think they, they did stay up that season. I think, I think they just got stayed up. Okay, but yeah, I mean, they they definitely played their their part in that game. I the thing that I found ironic doing this comebacks was, like I said, City needed two late goals in extra time in the playoff finals. Yeah, thirteen ten years prior to this happening, and it kind of mirrors that they needed two goals again in extra time, and then, and they got it. Yeah, yeah. I mean, it was it's very interesting digging into to some of the, the comebacks that happened. I mean, obviously a lot I had was from involving Leicester, but like you say, Man City were heavily involved, Spurs, and obviously a couple of Liverpools, but we, some of us have wished to pull out then. <laughs> I was uh, no one mentioned Liverpool-Southampton thrill. Uh, <laughs> 10 minutes to go. <laughs> Yeah, I think they've got a very varied list, and I think I think all of them have got good arguments for them to be be top. To be fair, yeah. But, but I mean, the Aguero one is is pre- pretty momentous. Obviously, number one point, Balotelli's actually done an assist, <laughs> and, and just the way that the, the commentators just like Aguero. <laughs> yeah, and as a as a very uh, iconic match and a great comeback. See why you put it at number one. Top 10 players who have not played for the so-called Big Six team. Uh, so we're talking Spurs, Arsenal, Chelsea, Man City, Man United, Liverpool. Uh, and they've also never won a Premiership title. So that excludes any of the Leicester and Blackburn winning teams. Uh, Dan, let's come to you first. Let's have your talk through 10 to 6. Right, number 10, Matt Letizio. Number 9. Janinho, number eight, Wilfred Ndidi, number seven, Marco Anatovic, number six, Dimitri Payet. Okay, yeah. I was thinking uh, of Payet myself, to be honest. He's one of many I was thinking. Um, Chris? <laughs> okay. I'm calling mine the the 
unknown top 10 because there, there's a lot. It's basically 10 wild cards that I'm just going to throw at you guys. <laughs> so get ready to pick yourself off the floor, these, these, these ones, all right? Okay, number 10, Morton Gamps Pedersen. Number nine, Colaccini. Number eight, Steve Stone, person that I've been told that I look like. <laughs> Number seven, Phil Jagielka. Number six, Mark Faduka. Okay. So we've had 10 players and I've only got one of those on my list. <laughs> I don't think I've got any of those. Actually, no, I've got two. So yeah, I've got one of Dan's on my list as well. All right. So let's talk about why is Matt Letizia so low for you, Dan? So low? Okay, yeah, I, I've got him as my number one. Number one? Yeah. Well, what's your criteria for being number one? Well, he was a very good player, but there's there's players that have done more in the game, achieved more, and they had more skills. They were they were fitter. They had more drive to do the best. I just thought he was uh, such a skillful skillful player and the, every season he seemed to have his own goal of the season competition with himself Matt Letitia is an interesting argument I've got do you think if he had the offer would he have gone to Manchester United or do you think he would have just have been happy staying at Southampton and being that big fish in the smaller pond or do you think he would have done well at Man U he certainly had the ability he did yeah I mean, I've, I've, I had an interview with him actually a few few weeks back and his fitness was a major issue, as in the thing where the nutritionist went to him and she said, how are you a football player or professional sportsman in your current state? But obviously he had the, the natural talent. But, but you think if, if he'd gone to Man United, someone like Fergie in his ear and, yeah. you know, no distress Southampton, they probably had better nutritionists and... Better physios, he, he may well have succeeded. Unfortunately, we'll never know. No, I mean, a right. prime example is the England debut he had, where he was just, I don't know what happened really. I don't know whether he, people say he was, he was nervous, other people say he was played out of position. I mean, do you think the manager should have given him more of an opportunity? I don't think you can give someone one cap and then say, right, that's it, you're not good enough for England. I think you need to. There's a bit of conspiracy over it. Well, you know, who knows? I mean, you think Gaza went to Euro 96 and he looked half unfit. And he was still a good player. I think it was more about tactically what formation they wanted to play and where they were going to fit him in. I think he just didn't fit in. That was the issue with England. But he, he never got the chance, did he? No. no. Just, just playing devil's advocate with it, really. Yeah, no, no. Um, OK. Um, sorry, Dan, who else was on your list? Who was after the CCA? Janinho. Uh, okay, right, yeah. So, talk to Janinho then. No, when he first signed for Middlesbrough, it was a real shock signing that they've signed a Brazilian star. And really, he was probably the biggest star foreign player in the Premier League at that time. And then he backed it up with his performances as well. His, his dribbling, taking on two or three players at a time, the skill that he had, the great close control. Uh, technically, it was fantastic. And he had that such acceleration as well. There's a real live wire around the middle of the pitch. He was uh, great at assisting for other players. And when he got through on goal as well, his one-on-one finishing was so cool. It was brilliant. He should have got more goals than he did. 
But really, it was more about his uh, creative play and his dribbling. And then apart from uh, being at Middlesbrough, he won the World Cup with Brazil. He was the Premier League Player of the Year in 96-97. He was the best player in the league. And uh, he was in the South American Team of the Year in years 2000 and 2001. I remember being a massive coup for uh, Middlesbrough when they signed him. Didn't Emerson follow shortly after as well? Yeah, and then Ravenelli. Yeah. I mean, they had some real coups, didn't they? With them three. All right. Chris? Yes. Go on. Who else did you have? (laughs) I've written about this time, sorry. I know. Okay, started it with Morton Gantz Pennison. Oh, yeah, yeah. That's a good shout. That is a good shout. I mean, Pedersen on any sort of free kick or anything like that, he he had a sweet left foot. He actually only scored seven free free kicks in his premiership uh, time at Blackburn. Um, But he had 39 assists. um, And he was quite versatile as well. He could play anywhere across the midfield except for right mid. Um, Some managers like to play in centre. Um, but I think personally he was probably best the left winger. Um, and his 288 appearances scored 35 goals. He's actually been quite greedy as well. He had quite a lot of shots in his time, which in my opinion shows quite a lot of self-confidence as well. And also um, he was in the top three with crosses three years on the trot um, in his premiership time at with um with Blackburn as well. So I just thought put put him in because I think with all due respect to Blackburn with better players, I think with the quality of crosses he was providing, I think he probably could have got a lot more assists. I know Liverpool were linked with him a few times over the years. Okay, do you want to hear my uh ten to six? Okay. Uh number ten, I had Norberto Solano. Yeah. Number nine, I've got Mr. West Ham himself, Mark Noble. Yeah. Number eight, Kevin Nolan. Number seven, Mark Viduka. And number six, Gary Speed. Wow. You know what? You've got two of mine. Ah. I've got no, I've got Solano higher. Okay, fair enough. Um, great. I didn't know until I did some more research. I mean, he was so good at assisting. Yeah. He was top. Top 10 on assists almost um, all the time. I've got he was here. also Villa's top goal scorer in 05 uh, and 04 05. Yeah. Yeah, fantastic. Uh, versatile as well. He, could he, he was one of the best dead ball specialists I've seen in the Premiership. He could really hit one and obviously assist with them. 11th, I've got here an all time assist for a midfielder. 49 goals, 62 assists. And then for um, Peru, he's just just as good. Uh, 95 caps and 20 goals for midfield is pretty good. And also, his uh, wedding was televised on national TV. <laughs> <laughs> no, I, was, I always liked him when he was at Newcastle. I thought he was destined for bigger things, to be honest. Uh, didn't quite work out. He had two stints at Newcastle, I think. One at Villa in between. Yeah. Pretty successful with both, to be honest. Yeah, very good player. What do you reckon to Paducah? He was just an out-and-out goal scorer. Yeah, I felt like injuries really hindered him. He would have been been up there with the greats, I reckon. 
came from Celtic, 30 goals in 37 games. Admittedly, obviously, the Scottish League isn't the greatest, but it's still a very good record. He's four goals against Liverpool, the four yeah. three beating that they gave us. He scored 22 goals in that first season for Leeds. And then I've got he went to Middlesbrough and scored um, one season 14 goals. No, sorry, 19 league goals in 2006. There was, yes, remember, he was part of the Leeds team that went on their Champions League exploits. And then he also helped Middlesbrough to the UEFA Cup final. Like, even at Newcastle, he played with injuries. He still scored so many goals. Yeah. Uh, he, he, was, he was a quality striker. His record here, I've got uh, 240 appearances, 92 goals. And, and he can do anything. He could hold up the ball, very good in the air. Good, actually, with the ball at his feet as well. So, yeah, that's why I put him where I put him anyway. He could definitely have played for a top six team, no doubt about that. Yeah. Let's talk the troublemaker, Dimitri Payet, then. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. But before he came to the Premier League, Premiership, he scored a lot of goals in France. He was named in the league um, team of the year. In 2012-13, 2014-15, Marseille player of the season in 2014-15. When he came to England, he's been named the London player of the year in the Premier League 2015-16, in the PFA team of the year. He was in the FIFA for World Eleven. in such a great season. But also, his all-round play that season, the creativity, the skills, the set pieces, and then the outlandish goals, similar to Matt Letizia, anywhere from out, from around the box, he'd find a way to get a shot in the corner. He was just an unbelievable, unstoppable talent at that time. Just a shame. Oh, yeah, he, he left he left West Ham, which he feels was for the well, not for footballing reasons, but that way he uh, he forced the move. Uh, I think it's because his his family wanted to go back to France, which is uh, sad, really. It should have, you'd hope it would be about football, but families was important as well. But he's gone back to France and he's playing really well again for Marseille. He's scored a lot of goals. And for France, he's been capped 38 times and got eight goals. And in the Europa League in 2017-18, he was the player with the most assists. He was named in the squad of the season. And uh, Marseille this season, he scored nine goals in 22 games. Yeah, I think at Marseille, he's a, a bit of a folk he- hero there. Uh, I think he's captain as well now. Um, but very, it's a shame he didn't spend more time in the Premier League. That's all I say. I was a, he was a real favourite of mine when he, the short spell he had at West Ham. I just wish that he stayed a bit longer. But obviously, like you said, if you know family needs come first, it's just a shame he just seemed a bit sour, didn't it? His move was a little bit, you know, it could have been a lot more amicable, but I obviously had to force the move, didn't he? I, I was actually going to say about forcing moves. Marco Anatovic. He's next up on this, yeah. Number <laughs> seven. <laughs> so, yeah, another one where he, he, the teams he played for, he was one of the top guys. Uh, Stoke, it took him a while, but by the end of his term there, he was the one player that, when he was up for it, he'd just take on any defender and he'd lead the team. He moved on to West Ham, and at West Ham he got 21 goals in 59 games from wide forward positions. He was named their player of the season in 2017-18. And it's like you say, he's, he's for, again, he's wanted to force the moves, probably for money reasons. He's gone to China. Um, 
I feel like he just wasn't motivated anymore to play in a mid-table team, is what I felt. It was totally to take the leap, wasn't it, to join a big team. It was brilliant. I feel with Bernardovic, like, it's an attitude thing. I mean, it is. You know, came from Inter before, and Jose criticised him, I think, when he was at Inter, about his whole attitude. And when he's on the ball, he's, he's almost impossible to play against. He's got strength and he's got pace. And, you know, he can, finish, he, he can finish as well. It's just a shame. I just feel that his talent is wasted away from Europe and away from the Premier League. Yeah. But, you know, when he's on, the, on, the, on his game, I think he could comfortably play for a top six, six team. He just needs somebody there to put his arm around him and just sort of tell him, when he's doing something stupid, you're doing something stupid. <laughs> you know? <laughs> <laughs> no one's worked that one out yet. What's that? Yeah, yeah good point. <laughs> Yeah, I think it's a criticism of the managers he's had as well. If he had a proper manager, I think we'd be seeing the best of him. I don't think David Moyes would be taking the shit off him, would he? <laughs> no. It's, it's, it's interesting how many former West Ham players we've got on this list. Yeah. <laughs> You've got Payet and Arnautovic. Um, me and Chris have got Solano. I've got Noble, Nolan. Some of the players they've had over the years in the Premiership. I've got Nolan as well. Yeah. Yeah. Where did you have Nolan? He was actually number two. Oh, okay. Um, yeah, but we'll move on to that uh, when the time's just. Um, am I the only one with Noble? I, I thought of him, but I couldn't put, put Noble and Nolan together on the same list. <laughs> <laughs> so I, I can't put him in. If he, if he can't get an England cap, then how can I put him in my top ten? He is very unlucky with the fact he's not been called up since he, he was captain of the under-21s. And he was captain of every under, under-age under team and then has never made it into the into the, the main squad. I mean, even up to sort of a couple of seasons ago, wasn't he was muted to come in, but they picked um, Winks, didn't they, instead, which obviously was a massive question mark why they picked him instead of Noble. And I, I've, I've always been a fan of Noble as in... Um, He's had that fiery temperament, hasn't he? He's got passion. He's a ball winner. He's not obviously the most um, probably gifted. You wouldn't see him spray a 30-yard pass, but he's very good at what he does. And to have someone like that in in England... He he comes across as a a good captain as well. He comes across as a really nice guy in interviews and stuff. Great professional. Kevin Owens never had an England cap either. His first Premier League game, he scored two goals against Leicester. And then that five was it five nil win that beat you. You've really got it in for Leicester tonight, haven't you? <laughs> oh yeah, big style. <laughs> hey, I put some good things about them. <laughs> oh, I'm going to talk about that three all draw with Palace now. <laughs> <laughs> oh, you're going to put Dwight Gale as your number one. <laughs> um, so I think all we got to talk about is uh, is it Colacini you had? Colacini, yes, yeah. Um, he came obviously from Spain. He was uh, Atletico Madrid, then went to Villarreal, spent a season or two there. He was actually my, Mike Ashley's first signing. We spent £10.3 million on him. Um, first season there wasn't great. He got relegated. Um, and at the, the day when he got relegated, he just... Stormed down the tunnel. Obviously, that wasn't great for the Newcastle fans. They didn't particularly like him, thinking he was going to move. But he actually stayed in the Championship and brought them back up. I looked at his stats and 
a quarter of the games he played in the Premier League, he actually kept with clean sheets. It's quite unbelievable. Um, they nicknamed him Mr. Reliable. He was actually on the PFA Team of the Year as well in 2012, and he was named captain of Newcastle in 2011. Um, I think he was a fan's favourite because he actually could play play with the ball as well from defence, so he liked to spray the ball, take the ball forward as well. Um, he had to leave, wasn't really because of footballing reasons, but similar to Pye actually, that his um, wife just got homesick and wanted to go back to Argentina. So he then went back to San Lorenzo. I remember being um, a good solid defender, got my silly haircut. Yeah, I had, I had Gary Speed at six. Um, who I just he was just one of the fittest football players I've, I've ever seen. I think he was one of the best at going into the box at the perfect time, wasn't he? When a ball yeah. played in, he just sort of ghosted into the box, didn't he? And suddenly, and ironically, he was quick as well. Yeah, he was absolutely rapid. Oh my God, he could head a ball. He was a great header of ball. I thought he was very underrated, to be honest, as well. I mean, I know obviously he played for Newcastle, who. Yeah. Back then, were one of the top teams in the league, but and obviously Leeds. But amazing, never went to an Arsenal or, a, yeah. or Man United or somewhere like that. He had a, he had a lot of grit, didn't he, as well in midfield as well. He wasn't just that sort of um, your attacking midfielder. You could put in a tackle or two as well, you know. And he's an all-round hard-working midfielder that I think, especially in, with Everton near the end of his career, there, you know, he he sort of passed on to other players. Yeah, sweet. Sweet left foot as well. Dan's anyone I missed from yours? And the only player I've not talked about is Wilfred Ndidi. Of course. Yeah, you've, you've gone for Mark Noble, but I've gone for Ndidi because I can't think of too many players that are better in his position as a defensive midfielder. The amount of protection that he gives a defence is, is really solid. Obviously, Angelo Kante comes to mind as one of the best in that position, but after he left Leicester and Ndidi came in, Big boots to fill. He's done a really good job there. And the stats tell it all. Um, highest tackles made, uh, minutes played, second in interceptions, and that's uh, two years running now. Um, big clubs are sniffing around him. I've heard links with Liverpool, and with yeah. Paris Saint-Germain. I think if he does make it for a huge transfer fee, it's a top, top midfielder. I think you really, um, when he got injured, you really suffered when he wasn't playing. Yeah. Um, Oh, he just fills in that gap, doesn't he? He's, the energy he brings to your team as well, and he just sort of he, he's getting better technically as well, which I've seen. Yes, season he has. He's improved his passing game and his control on the ball, uh, undoubtedly. But his, his strengths are absolutely his athleticism, his speed, his his uh, physical strength, and the, the fact that he's so competitive. He wins so many tackles. He's just a great protective barrier for a defence. Great defensive field player. I think he's in his position. He is one of the best about that. Fair enough. Right, Chris, hit me with your number five, please. Number five, I have got Yakubu. Okay, I, I considered him. Yeah, me too. He's he's just been consistent everywhere he's been, hasn't he? Really? I mean, two hundred fifty-two appearances, ninety-five goals. Looking at goal every two to three games. I mean, he's he scored. 95 Premier League goals. He's in just outside the top 20 of, on the all-time list. Five seasons on the trot, he's been in the top 10. 
That was from 2003 to 2008. And he's also followed that up later on in his career with coming fourth top scorer with 17 goals for Blackburn in 2011. He's both footed. He scores um, with his head as well. But I think he's your old school sort of poacher, really, isn't he? Someone you've got in the box there that there's a loose ball. He's just going to get on it and probably score. Like I would say, a similar type that's slightly slower to Defoe. Um, he's actually quite tall. He's actually six foot as well, which I was quite surprised about when I was doing my research. I thought it was a bit smaller. But with his uh, international record as well, he's had 75 appearances, 21 goals. Um, but yeah, I just think he's 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 all he's gone for quite big money moves as well. I mean, a lot of money's gone around for him. I mean, when he first joined Portsmouth, that was a four million move. Then went to, from Portsmouth to Middlesbrough, seven seven point five. Then eleven point two five million move to Everton. I, I just think he he probably could have done more as well, to be honest. And if and he, he sort of reminds me a bit of um, Igalo at Man United. I was about now. to say that. I was about to say is that the same thing. He reminds me of Igalo. And I think if he went to a bigger club, I think it would have benefited him even more, and he probably would have got more roles. But that's why I didn't put him as high. In my top three, but he's 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 good at fifth, at number five for me. Dan, who you got for number five? Well, this is the point where my list really diverges <laughs> from yours. Um, you guys have got a certain theme going with the likes of uh, Martin Martin Noble and Kevin Nolan and Yakuba, and mine takes a very different turn from this point onwards. So brace yourselves. That's fine. Um, my number five pick is Roberto Mancini. Oh, okay. Go for it. Uh, although he didn't play long in the Premier League, I've measured his career prior to that point. How good a player was Mancini? Well, absolute legend at Sampdoria. He was the coach, not just on the pitch, but also off the pitch. He gave the halftime team talks as a player, and he also was on the interview panel when Seven went to get the job for Sam. <laughs> but yeah, he just had um, such a great mind for the game. He, he tried to coach everybody in every position, but he's, he's also had great technical ability on the pitch, a great flair player, a great dribbler. He was renowned as being one of the best number 10s of that Italian generation in the early 90s. Uh, he's also very successful, won Serie A with Sampdoria, won four Coppa Italias, won the Cup Winners' Cup, and Runners up in the Champions League, so he's a he's a top top player in my view. I can't can't, can't do, disagree with that. What was his Leicester record like? Was it not so good? Or I think he played seven games and didn't score. <laughs> <laughs> and then he, he left Leicester because he got offered a manager's job. Fiorentina. <laughs> yeah, it's funny because he, although um, he didn't have much influence on England English football at that time as a player, English football had a big influence on him. He, he fell in love with the game in that short spell at Leicester, and then he came back and managed. Look how that went. That's great. And that's how obviously Man City started. Then I'd like to tell you more about his international career, but he, he didn't make a big impact. Um, the most notable thing I found was that um, in 1994, he wanted to be selected for the World Cup, and he demanded that he be automatically chosen as a starter for every game and the coach refused so then he just withdrew from the squad and fell out with him that's a <laughs> that's the Roberto Badger up front <laughs> and look and look what happened there so do you think he would have taken the penalty that would have possibly won it in the World Cup <laughs> I'd rather him than Beresa yeah 
Go on then, Anne. Well, I've, Brian, um, your pick. I've I've played it safe at number five. Um, <laughs> I picked Gareth Southgate, Mr. Safe himself. Well, um, I'll, I'll be honest with you. The reason why I put him in is because I've been watching Euro 96 lately. Yeah. And I've suddenly realised like, realize that he, he was actually a really good defender and he was really calm, collected, and he played every single minute of Euro 96 for England. Yeah. And it's unfortunate that he had to miss that penalty. He was, he was a young lad at the time and he kept Sol Campbell out of the team. And it was him and Adams at centre-back, I think. But then in, in the Premiership... He's become Villa's most capped England player, and he, he just he was part of that Villa team, you know, under like Martin O'Neill and the rest of it. it was John John Gregory, yeah, you know, like yeah, pushing for Europe every season. He was just a very safe pair of hands at the back, and he did the same job at Middlesbrough. Again, he was part of that Middlesbrough team that went on to you know, excel themselves, shall we say? Extremely consistent, wasn't he? All the way from Palace. I mean, I don't know what he's doing now. I don't, I don't know if anyone's heard from him. There's this guy who's got a waistcoat. <laughs> right, Chris, number four. Uh, Nubby Solano, mate. We already discussed okay. that, that legend. Right. Dan? Right, so along the same lines as my previous <laughs> pick, my, sorry, my number four pick is Yuri Zhorkaev. Oh, I, I was debating him, you know, but I just thought he didn't play enough Premier League time. So yeah, he could have joined any team, but he didn't. He joined he joined Bolton, had a spell at Blackburn. But for me, he could have played at a big Premier League team. It was good enough. Played 82 times for France, scored 28 goals. At Monaco, 59 goals in 155 games. Inter Milan, 30 goals in 87 games. 95-96, he won the Cup Winners' Cup with Inter. 96, he, in the European Championship, he was named in the team of the tournament. At Inter Milan in 97, he was their player of the year. He was also named in the FIFA 11 for 1997, one of the best 11 players in the world at that time. And in the World Cup in 98, he lifted the trophy with France and he lifted the Euros with them in 2000 as well. Fair enough. He named the snake for his dribbling style. He wasn't blessed with pace, but he managed to take on two or three players at a time just with his technical ability. And he'll always be remembered at Inter for that bicycle kick against Roma. If you've not seen it, it's very similar to Van Basten's goal. Incredible bicycle kick. It's crazy um, some of the players Bolton had in the yeah. Premiership. Yeah. <laughs> JJ really Yeah, him as well. Seriously, how did they get JJ Okocha? This is Bolton we're talking about. No disrespect <laughs> to them, but it's Bolton. <laughs> Got Bruno and Gotti, didn't they, as well? And um, Campo, was it? Yeah. Campo. Yeah. yeah. So, number four, I've gone for Tim Cahill, who I just think is a, a brilliant player. And, and like Gary Speed, he's one of the best headers of the ball the Premiership scene. Born in most Premier League teams, I think, as well, mate. But so hard to, again, he's timing with getting to crosses. And the, the, the runs he makes the, to get to them, impossible to sort of, um, without fouling really, isn't, isn't it, to get to him? I mean, he was signed for 1.5 million for Millwall. What a bargain. <laughs> to go on to Captain Everton and 226 appearances. I thought he was incredibly underrated, to be honest. Yeah. OK, Chris, number three? Number three, Hageland, the big uh, Norwegian Fulham defender. 
think he's a better Hagan. Oh, okay, yeah, yeah, yeah. Can you remember him? Um, he made 238 appearances, 10 league goals. He even got three assists for central defender. He was um, a small height, six foot six. So obviously he was up on the heading rankings most seasons. Also incredibly good at block blocking as well. He's in the top 10 blockers um, for three seasons. Um, he was rumoured to move to Liverpool and Man City in 2008 but decided to go to Fulham instead. He was actually bought um, to Fulham by um, Hodgson, who managed them in Scandinavia. He then became captain of his country also in 2008. He was also one of the players that got Fulham into the UEFA Cup in 2010 and um, was actually second top scorer one season with six goals in 2010-11. Here's a bit of a story about him. Can you? Can any of you remember Felix Margarth, the absolutely crazy yeah. Fulham, yeah. the yeah. German Bond villain? Yes, the German. The I think he was a uh, he was there for about two months and caused absolute chaos there. Enfold, that's what they called him, wasn't it? Yeah, that was it. Margarth ignored doctors and instructed Hagland to place a block of cheese on his thigh to make him fit for the next match. Um, that is pretty insane. But as a whole, I just think his stats were are fantastic. Obviously, being that sort of size as well, you're going to be in the top three with heading. Very good at blocking as well. Um, t- tough defender, really, to get past. And that's why he's my number three. Fair enough. Dan? Number three, I've got Patrick Clivert. Nice. Ah, you know what? I completely forgot he played in the Premiership. He played for Newcastle, didn't he? Yeah, he, well, he didn't have a very successful spell at Newcastle, but prior to that, he had 39 goals in 70 games for Ajax, six goals in 27 games for Ajax, 90 goals in 182 games at Barcelona. Wow. Euro 2000, he uh, was named the team of the tournament, won the Golden Boot with five goals. In 1995, he came fifth in the Ballon d'Or. He was named in Pelé's uh, 100 Greatest Living Footballers. Made that list. And he was the all-time top goal scorer for the Netherlands. Wow, I didn't know it was all time. Yep, 40 goals in 79 games. Wow. Great finisher, wasn't he? Um, ball in the box. Quite strong as well, wasn't he? I always remember him being quite strong. Hold up, held up the ball well. Part of the Ajax youth team and first team there. Yeah, it's a shame he didn't really do more things up at Newcastle, wasn't it? Yeah, that was and the point where his career started to tail off. I think it was 2004 he joined Newcastle. It's also 2004 that he retired from international football. So that tells Oh, us. really? Oh, OK. You know Newcastle have, have a habit of signing players that are beyond their prime. When they signed Owen and yeah. various other ex-legends. That's the theme of my whole list, really. All these players that were great. No, it's fine. It's interesting. <laughs> it's Go quite on. good that that sort of some of us are going from them being up and coming to not quite getting to that six, and then you're going almost like the other way. So we're sort of getting there in the middle somewhere along the lines, even yeah. if they are a bit blurred. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, just a bit. <laughs> uh, my number three, I had Paolo Di Canio. Yeah. He was, I mean, in terms of talent, 
he was an absolute brilliant talent. But he, he's a bit like Payet and Balotelli. He just he didn't know what was going to happen next with him. <laughs> one minute he's shoving out, one minute he's shoving the ref over, the next minute he's scoring an acrobatic volley against Wimbledon. He was just that kind of player. One of the things I'll, I'll never forget about him is obviously when instead of scoring a, an open goal, he picked up the ball and because the um, Everton goalkeeper had gone down with a head injury. Yeah, yeah. I, I can't mean, think of many. I actually can't think of many players that probably would actually do that. There's probably a lot of players that were going, "Well, I'll score the goal and then I'll check he's all right." Some of the goals he scored and you know, some of the skill he had was un- unbelievable. And Harry Redknapp came out and said, "Like you know, he's he can do stuff with the ball that people can only dream of." He played for Juventus and AC Milan before he came to England, didn't he? Yeah. He was never capped for Italy, though, was he? Was he not? He for no. England. No. <laughs> <laughs> I remember yeah. reading the story that, um, I think it was when he was at West Ham, obviously, after he shoved the ref at Sheffield Wednesday, he never <laughs> played for them again. Yeah. And then, obviously, who's going to take a chance on him? Harry Redknapp. Yeah, of course. course. Trippet player, trippet player. Um <laughs> And then I remember, like, I read a story that I think one Christmas to Canada was having a good season, and Ferguson rang him up wanting to sign up for Man United. Yeah, and the sure. Canio said, "No, West Ham have given me a lifeline. I'm not I'm not leaving." Really? He turned down Man United to stay at West Ham. Fair play. Chris, you're number two. Um, Kevin Nolan. Okay. Obviously, captain all the clubs he played for in the Premier League. So, captain Bolton, Newcastle, West Ham. And this is the, a, a weird fact, okay? Um, he could have played for either Republic of Ireland or Holland. I don't know how, but I, I mean, it's another one that we spoke about that never played for England. That you do think with some of the squads that why he was never called up. But again, when he was at his prime in the younger years, they already had some players. I don't think they're that well known. Called Paul Scholes, Frank Lampard, and Steven Gerrard. So. I think that probably answers any questions. You would have thought then he would have gone, right, I'll, I'll play for Republic of Ireland then. Yeah, yeah, you would have thought so, but... Fair enough, Dan? Right, my number two pick is Esteban Cambiasso. I knew you'd have him in there somewhere. <laughs> yeah. Absolute magician, wasn't he? <laughs> yeah, he's a quality player. 52 caps for Argentina. Made 315 appearances for Inter Milan. He scored 41 goals for them. He won the Serie A title five times, Coppa Italia four times, won La Liga, the Argentine Premier Division, Champions League, European Super Cup, Intercontinental Cup, World Club Cup. He was the Inter Milan Player of the Year in 2005. And he was the Leicester City Player of the Year in 2015. Why did he leave Leicester after that season? He just wanted to move on. Felt it was time. I think he'd already made his mind up. Could have won the Premiership the next season. <laughs> Could have done. But uh, I think he just um, felt his future lied elsewhere. So, yeah, Leicester had to replace their best player. I think when he came to Leicester, he was announced as the most decorated footballer in our history. And what I'd say also, um, going to the games and watching live, I'd say it's between him and Mahrez for the best two players of Manchester live, week in, week out. Absolute quality player. Doesn't put a foot wrong the whole game. Positioning, passing, tackling, everything he does is perfect. World class player. Technical ability, isn't it? I remember um, him against Man United. That you know the five 
free win. Got the game by the scruff of the net in the second half, didn't he? And just controlled yeah. it. He understands um, his teammates' positioning as well. He's uh, he's got such a high footballing IQ. He's um, studying his coaching badges at the minute, but I think he's one that's going to be a quality manager in the future. Fair enough. Good pick there. So my number two, um, I've gone for Kevin Phillips. I'll be touching him. Um, I think was it in in the, in the promoted podcast we did. Yeah. He yeah. was, he's just an absolute goal machine and one of the best finishers I've seen in the Premiership. And I watched the highlights real whilst I was doing the research for this and he could score from anywhere. Left foot, right foot, outside the box, inside the box, header. And obviously he won the European Golden Boot when he scored 30 goals in the season for Sunderland. He's the only English player to ever do that. So, uh, yeah, he could have easily played for... Top six. You think he scored 30 goals for Sunderland? Imagine if he had Beckham or Gerrard feeding him balls. So it's a it's a real sort of travesty, really, because he, he wasn't one to get injured, was he either? Really, he wasn't. No, he didn't get injured that often. I don't think. No, I know. Obviously, he didn't get into the England squad much because at the time we had it was like Rooney and Owen and Heskey. Heskey, yeah, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> no, he, he was he was a phenomenal striker. Pick that, All right. Come on then, Chris. Hit me with hit us with your number one surprise. Us. Okay. Um, Sylvian Petrov, Villa. Okay. Yeah. Um, signed from from Celtic, where obviously O'Neill successfully managed him there, and he took him took him to uh, Villa as well for six point five mil. He was then captain in two thousand nine. And he was captain of Bulgaria and won over 100 caps for them as well. Supporters Player of the Year and Players Player of the Year 2009. He was there for seven seven years before, unfortunately, he got ill. And made 185 appearances, scored nine goals, um, had eight assists. He was also in the top three on interceptions and tackles in the Premier League in three years on the trot. Um, and also in the top 10 for one year in passing as well. He was then welcomed to the Hall of Fame in, at Villa in 2013 as well. I mean, whenever I watched him, he was also always very steady, wasn't he? And he got, again, another defensive midfielder, technically very, very gifted. Like I say, he could read the game very well. Obviously, by a lot of the passing he could, he got, and touches that, he, could, he sort of progressed the game a lot for Villa. And I just put him as number one because I think he was probably forgotten because of other midfielders like we mentioned before at the Premier League. And I think in a top 16, he would have done probably what a similar job to what Ndidi does at Leicester. But yeah, so that's why I put him at my number one. Fair shout. Yeah, very, very good midfielder, wasn't he? Defensive midfielder. Yeah, yeah very underrated player. Come on then, Dan. All right, my number one. I've gone for Fernando Hierro. Bolton player. Yeah, <laughs> the Bolton fraternity. So, Hierro, he played 89 times for Spain, scored 29 goals, made 439 appearances for Real Madrid, scored 102 goals for them. But, um, as a centre-back slash defensive midfield player, he also scored a hat-trick in one game for them against Zaragoza. Wow. 
He was named in the FIFA World Eleven in 1996, 1997, and 1998. He was the UEFA Defender of the Year in 97-98 season. In the FIFA World Cup in 2002, he was named in the All-Star Team of the Tournament. In five La Liga titles, three Champions League, two international cups. Absolute quality centre-back. Um, he's, he's playing for Bolton. Yeah. <laughs> At the advice of Steve McManaman. <laughs> Wasn't too bad in uh, central mid, like you said as well. I think he played quite a lot there for Bolton, didn't he? He did. Allardyce wanted him to um, dictate the game. I remember um, he was winning headers. He was fighting people off with that physical style he was renowned for. It was perfect for the English game. But I think he got to the end of the season where he thought, I don't want to do this every week. <laughs> game now. I, I can do it, but no, it's time. About 37 at the time, wasn't he, bless him? Yeah, he absolutely could do it. It was, it was brilliant for yeah. Bolton in those games. Um, Quality player, absolutely quality player. Yeah, good well, chat. Well, you know what my number one is, Matt Latissier. <laughs> um, there, there was one player that has actually nearly made my top 10 two weeks in a row. He's probably the definition of a forgotten football player, and that's Lucas Radderby for Leeds. You're right, he is the forgotten man. You're right. No one remembers him, yeah, apart from maybe Leeds fans. <laughs> He was a solid player, wasn't he? He was absolutely solid. And the funny thing was, um, you know, he only moved to Leeds to keep his fellow South African filmer singer happy. Really? <laughs> he came as part of the deal. And quite frankly, he ended up a better player than filmer singer did for Leeds. Yes. Uh, he ended up being captain. George Graham made him captain. And he, he was just, it was, uh, he's, he's another one. He's a bit like Leather King. It's a shame he had so many injuries because I think he would have been an absolute nailed on top 10 defender if he hadn't had all those injuries. Yeah. Uh, that, that's a good one to have, mate, there. I had two I was debating. One I wasn't allowed <laughs> <laughs> due to your, your, your rules. Go on, was who was it? King Clad, uh, Georgie King Cladzi. Oh, yeah, yeah. The little Georgian magician. Yeah. And Ugo Ekiog, Villa defender. Did you have any wild cards there, Dan? Well, there are quite a number of players that I thought I considered and didn't quite make my list. Um, yeah, but I think the biggest one is probably Adama Traore. Oh, OK. Yes. Because he's been absolutely frightening this season. If he plays like that every season, he can get in any team. Oh, yeah. Absolutely any team. So that's Definitely. what I thought. He, he probably probably just needs to do that so that form for another season or two, but he's definitely got the talent. He could be in the top 10 on this list. Uh, it'd be interesting what happens to him in the summer, if we have a summer. <laughs> I know that Liverpool were, were looking at him quite a lot recently, but... Well, we're not getting Timo Werner now, are we? So I tell you, Chelsea's team will look good, good, good next year. We'll see. Okay, right. You ready for a quiz? 
Yeah, yeah. Go, on. go on. Nine questions. Okay. Question number one. Who was the last team to win the Scottish top flight apart from Celtic and Rangers? Aberdeen. Well done. Oh, I just to this. <laughs> Do you know what year it was? Uh, yeah. Ooh. Would it have been like about 2002? Was it 1984. Oh, close. <laughs> was that Fergie's first, Rob? Yeah. Question number two. Who has scored the fastest Premier League hat-trick? Mine Okay, right. Question number three. Three players share the most red cards in Premier League history, which is eight. Who are they? Richard Dunn. Yeah. Is Julian Dix one? No. I'll give you a point for each. Carragher? No. Vidic? No. Barton? No, surprisingly. Vinnie Jones? No. Poor old Richard Dunn, he's got the most own goals as well, isn't he? <laughs> Frank Sinclair must be up there as well. <laughs> um, Frank Sinclair? No. David Batty? No. Do you give up? Kevin Muscat? No. No, I give up. Go on. Patrick Vieira and Duncan Ferguson. Yeah, should have been better with that. <laughs> I'm surprised with Patrick Vieira, but not with Ferguson. Okay, Dan's in the lead, 2-1. Right, question number four. Liverpool have six European Cups, Man United have three. Who has the third most out of British teams? Forest? Yes. They have two. Which, uh, question number five, which outfield player appeared in the Champions League final in three different decades. Who? Maldini? No. Luther Mateus? No. He's British. Oh, British. Sorry. sorry. Uh, he said these were hard. He's a very well-known player. It's not Gary Neville. No. You're close, though. Diggs? Yes. <laughs> 99, 2008 and 2011. Oh. Dan is 4-1 up, Chris. Oh, I need a fight back here. Come back. More questions left to, to level it. Okay. Which team did Denmark replace in Euro 92? Yugoslavia. Oh, Dan just got you. Oh! <laughs> VAR, what do you <laughs> Question seven. The 91-92 season was the last before the Premier League breakaway. West Ham were relegated, but which two other teams went down and have never returned to the top flight? Luton? Yeah. Oxford? No. Cambridge? No. Notts County? Yes. Chris, come on. (laughs) Or is it 6-1? 7-1. 7-1? One more question there. 
Two questions left. I think Dan's won. <laughs> Which is the only French team to win the European Cup? Monaco. No. Mets. Yes. Well done, Chris. You're back in it. <laughs> There's four parts for the next one. <laughs> <laughs> All right, finally, playing for a pride here, Chris. Colombia's Rennie Higuita performed that spectacular scorpion kick against England in 1995. Whose shot was it? Redknapp. Yeah. Well done, Dan. <laughs> I need to make these harder. <laughs> right, then, shall I do the socials while we're at it? Yeah. <clears throat> yeah. If you want to email us with any of your top tens, which will probably be dramatically different to ours, then uh, do it to var at the bar 2020 at gmail.com. Or you could also Facebook us on var at the bar, or even you uh, Twitter us on var at the bar one. Yeah, any ideas or anything that you want to put on, just send us an email and we'll obviously think about it. And uh, no, it's on the next one. We'll more than likely do it, to be fair. Exactly. <laughs> That's if anyone's listening to us. Yeah. <laughs> All right. Until next time. See you later. See ya. Bye. Sports Social Podcast Network. Judy was boring. Hello. Then Judy discovered Chumbacasino.com. It's my little escape. Now Judy's the life of the party. Oh, baby, mama's bringing home the bacon. Whoa, take it easy, Judy. The Chumba life is for everybody. So go to Chumbacasino.com and play over 100 casino-style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. Chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details.